Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls. In 2013, I decided I'm a guy who wears sandals. And every day since then has been a dream. Even at my wedding in 2013, uh, I wore shoes just for the ceremony. And then it was kick them off and put the sandals back on after that. And I think in 2023, I decided I'm a guy who preaches on a stool. So we're just going to try that out today. All right. Well, it is uh, it's a new year. It's a new month. Uh, we're getting ready for a new study next week. We've had some uh, announcements this morning. I just want to highlight uh, them again for us. You know that first part. One of our goals at All Souls um, this last year, and these are like longer term goals, uh, but some of our goals are, are reaching the next generation, um, um, pursuing becoming a reconciling community in part by partnering with our local ministry partners and three in particular. But another one is to become a warmer and more welcoming community. Um, for the longest time, All Souls was a place that was very easy to kind of come as you are and hide in obscurity, to stay back, go your own pace. It is still very much that way. But at the same time, what we've seen over the last couple of years is we, we've seen a desire to be warmer and closer together. And we've talked over the last year or so about welcoming new people into the church. Every week, more and more new people come into the church. And so we want to welcome them in better um, and welcome one another better on Sunday morning. And that's why we're making the shift to ask people to travel up through these double doors. Now, there's two ways to tell how long somebody's been at All Souls. The first is how late they come to the service, right? So as long as I get in before communion, I'm good. Um, it's easy to spot the new people because they're here early or on time. But the other way to tell is because they use sort of the friends and family entrance, which is over there by the stairs. Now, my parents have been in the same house uh, since 1997, and I can tell you less than uh, what I can count on two hands is the number of times I've entered through the front door of that house. And the front door of my parents' house was really pretty nice and ornate and well-adorned, and we had a foyer, or as we called it, a foyer, uh, that was always well-decorated and things like that. But I, we would oftentimes just go in through the back. It was closest to the driveway. We'd go in through the back where it was a mess. Really dirty, cluttered, hard to maneuver in there. Not the kind of place you stay. Uh, we think that by coming in through these doors, we're going to do a better job welcoming and, and waking up with one another and, and identifying new people and making them feel welcome, getting them close and access to information over there, things like that. I know you've got a habit and you're used to that, but try it out with us. Let's see how it goes over the next couple months to come in. The word foyer... Uh, is a French word with a Latin root that means the focus of attention. And so we want to have the space to be able to give one another our attention as we greet one another in the morning by coming in these doors over here. The second thing that you heard about was our five-week study on the spiritual discipline of fasting. Uh, that's going to kick off next week. You might know that as a church, we do two church-wide studies a year, um, and there's a couple reasons why we do this. One, because 
uh, these focuses, these studies are, are about diving deep into a practice, a spiritual discipline. We think it's easier to do that with other people and to hear their perspectives. Uh, getting other people's perspectives and using their gifts is really important in the Christian life, as we're going to see this morning. Uh, but it's also a, a focused time because we know that life gets in the way of uh, a lot of our best intentions. And so here's a time we can set aside to practice something new as we live into that way of Jesus. But it's also a way that we get into relationships. There's not enough on-ramps to meet people and to go deeper into relationships with people. These church-wide studies offer us two times a year where if you're in a community group, you can invite other people a natural entry point for them. If you're not in a group, you can talk to me or receive an invitation and come into a group. But we think it is vitally important if we really want to practice the way of Jesus, and especially if you want to see renewal come into your life, you need other people. Life is a team sport. It's not a solo endeavor, as we're going to see again this morning. So whether we're practicing this new traffic pattern as a way of showing hospitality or we're joining in community in the study next week, these are the ways that we live into that mission, practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. We're going to get specific about applications towards fasting in the next few weeks. So I wanted to reset here as it's a new year, a new time, uh, and in part, like I've been out of rhythm the last couple of weeks, so I don't know where anybody's at or what day it is or anything like that. So it's sort of like, well, let's just start with the general things and the principles. So our passage this morning is Romans chapter 12, and Paul uh, is going to give some of these key points about the Christian life. And we're going to look at it as this general overview Before we get into specific opportunities for service or specific practices, what does the Christian life entail? And let's consider those things together. Three things that we're going to see Paul point to in the passage. Uh, First, he says that we are to live in view of God's mercy. That this is the foundation of the Christian life, is that God has spoken, God has been at work, and now our life is a response to that. Second, that we belong to one another. Again, that this is not a solo endeavor, but a team sport. And then finally, the encouragement to offer our lives as living sacrifices. Now, we can't just have a general conversation, and it's not always helpful to get a lot out of that. So there's three specific application questions that I want you to entertain for yourself and maybe chew on later on. The first, how are you viewing God's mercies? What do you know about God? What are you not so sure about? What methods or means do you have to see who God is and what he's up to to process life? Where do you need to see more clarity? What are some of the questions you have, the doubts, the rough spaces? What are you wrestling with in life that you want to hear God's word on? What are some new things that you want to take on? January is a great time to take on some new things coming off this break. The second is, who are you journeying through life alongside? See, you are not just your perspective and your gifts and your limits. You are also heavily influenced by the people around you. And if you can get around other people who see things clearly, then you have the benefit of their view as well and getting to see things more clearly as well. And so we need to belong to one another. And again, next week is a great opportunity to get involved in relationships with people. But also we belong to one another in that our view, our gifts, our strengths, even our doubts are not just our own, 
but God has intention for us that, that there's a reason where we're at and God wants us to give that away to others and to him to see what he'll do. And then finally, what is God offering or inviting me to do to offer my life to him in this season in greater detail? What invitation is God bringing for me to seek him, to be with him in a different way than maybe I've been before? What is he asking me to turn over to him, uh, to, to walk in faith in with him? So those are a couple of the questions. We're going to dive into the passage. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. Or you can follow along in the worship guide as we read verses 1 through 13. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober and accurate judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we're here this morning because we want to be joyful in hope. We want to be patient in affliction. We want to grow in faithfulness in prayer. We want to share in the delight and the joy that we see before us and to have a fuller view of your mercy, to know who you are and what you're up to, that we might come to know ourselves and see this world with greater clarity, that we can move and act in it, to see your goodness, your kingdom come, and your will be done. God, we want to live testing and approving what your perfect, pleasing, and good will is. Help us to see that this morning by the power of your Spirit. And by the power of your Spirit, help us to learn where you are calling us to offer our lives back to you in gratitude, to live as living sacrifices for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. 
All right, so we're going to walk through this overview. We've got a couple questions we're going to look at. The first pattern and principle that we want to draw out from this passage and just generally from, uh, from Scripture is that God moves and speaks and then we respond. Some years ago, my parents wanted me to be in a barbershop quartet. I don't know why. But I went to the tryout, and, uh, and so they asked me to sing a few songs, and I was terrible. And then finally, they condescended to me, and they said, well, we'll sing, and you just sing along as well. And that didn't go so well either. But the pattern that we see in the scripture is that before God invites us to do something, before Paul instructs us to act, to honor others, to serve, to give our life away, not to think highly of ourselves, those types of things, before that happens... God speaks and moves first. Every week when we come into worship, the first part of worship is called a call to worship because in creation, God has called out to humanity and he sings first before we're invited to sing alongside and to sing in response with him. Jesus put it like this. He went to move towards the end of his life to wash the disciples' feet. And after doing that and loving them, even to the end, the passage says, he asked them, do you understand what I have done for you? And then after they have received it and understood it, he says to them, now go and do likewise. What Paul says here in this text, as he does over and over again in his books, is he lays out all the things that God has done and then says, in view of that, in light of that, now do this. Similarly, we see that here in this passage as well as in others. And what we want to see this morning is, is we sort of have to go back and look to see when Paul says, in view of God's mercy, therefore, what I've already covered in the first 11 chapters, uh, what has he said? Because if we're going to understand chapter 12, we need to grasp what he was getting at before. Uh, the book of Romans is like uh, a 4,000 level class in college. This is not freshman material. My freshman year at Georgia Tech, uh, there was a one-hour credit class called freshman orientation, but it was lovingly called pizza class. There were no assignments, and there was lots of pizza. And I thought, why are we paying money for this? Uh, there are other places in the gospel and in the Bible that are really easy to get into. They're not that dense and complex. God loves you. Love God. Love others. Here's what God has done for you. You're saved in him, things like that. But the book of Romans is Paul going through great length to unpack the entirety of redemptive history, the entirety of what it means to be a human, the entirety of what God has been up to. And before we can get to understand our part in it, like we see here in chapter 12, we need to survey what was there before. If you jump into chapter 12, it's kind of like jumping into the last season and the series finale of a show. And so what we need to do is sort of a, on previous weeks of Romans and look through some of that. Paul begins in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, where he says this about the state of the world. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. And yet the righteousness of God is also revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So as he opens up his book, he's saying to them that the world is askew. There's wickedness in it. There's, there's brokenness in it. There's sin and death. There's these things going on in the world and you know it. 
And God is allowing that to be revealed and you're starting to see it and understand it more and more. But that's not the only story that's being told. There's also a story that God is at work revealing and bringing something new, his righteousness and redemption into the world. And Paul says, this is yours. It's your gift and possession through faith, giving your attention to it, believing in it, chewing on it, walking in it. He goes on in Romans chapter three to say, all people have encountered the effects of sin and brokenness. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. When we think about the world and the sin and brokenness that's in it, uh, we oftentimes just think of the injustices, the transgressions, the things that were done wrong. Right? And so when we teach classes to younger kids and we're talking through what is sin, there's two sides to sin that we need to wrap our heads around. The one is what's called a sin of commission, a transgression or violation where you did the thing God said not to. But there's another layer of sin that's talked about in the scripture called the sin of omission. The Westminster Confession puts it like this. Sin is any time you transgress God's law, but it's also any lack of conformity to God's plans and purposes. It's any times the full glory and splendor that God desires for us and delights in just hasn't been ours. We've chosen something else instead. So it's not just that we have done some bad things. It's that there's good things that, that he's made for us that we just haven't walked in. And those two things are true for all of us. But again, it's not the only story. At the same time, we are freely justified by God's grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's not just that we are forgiven and let off the hook, but we are invited into a beautiful inheritance, made co-heirs with Jesus, so that now we can walk into God's presence any time that we want as sons and daughters through prayer, to be received by him as his glorious children. Romans goes on to point out heroes of the faith, people in the scripture who have, who have walked with God. And, and what we see in their life is that they didn't always get it right. There were times where they heard his promises, they heard the vision, they wanted it, and they chased after it. And then there were other times where their faithfulness just went away. And yet by faith, they kept coming back to believe in God's goodness and walk with him. And we are invited to do the same. And then in Romans chapter 7, Paul says that this is one of the things the Christian life is like, where he says, O wretched man am I, who will save me from this body of death? Because the good things I want to be doing are not what I'm doing. And the bad things I don't want to do are what I find myself doing over and over again. And then in chapter 8, Paul says once again, that's not the only story. And in fact, the final word on this is that from now on, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we are renewed and saved and justified freely, not by our faithfulness, but by his and our faith in him to receive that justification as a gift of grace. And what Paul says in the chapter after that is that God has been at work since before time to predestine us and call us and renew us and justify us, and he will sanctify us, meaning to make us holy and righteous, to grow us into maturity, to fix and change and heal the world, to continue to reveal his goodness in the world until ultimately he brings all things into glory. 
A lot of times we encounter these ideas when we come into the Christian life, when we come into faith, when we're trying to get an answer for what's wrong with the world or with ourselves. And they sort of serve as a front door that we come into the faith and we say yes to God and then we get back to living. But this information and this road of salvation that Paul lays out, the view of God's mercy is not the background but the foreground. To live and to flourish is to set our attention and our focus on the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. As we saw, there's a bunch of different stories going on and some of them are good and some of them are difficult, but what's the final story? That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we are a new creation. And to set that before us as the view of God's mercy, to set that in the foreground, the object of our attention through faith, to wrestle with it is a way that his new life comes into us. So again, we go back to this first question. What do you know about God? What do you know of his mercies? Do you find yourself telling the whole story or just parts of the story? Are there things you're wrestling with God, doubts that you have, questions that you're not so certain about what he asks or desires for us or demands or what he promises? What are the mercies we need to be in view of? And how do we get there? The second thing that we see here is again that we do not belong just to ourselves but to one another. Life is a team sport. See, Paul says, in view of God's mercy, and then later on, you belong to one another. And the reason why we have to belong to one another is because I don't always see God's mercy. It's especially difficult when you find yourself in a dry or difficult season to hold on to the things that you know and that you've seen before. And if you've never seen them before, it's especially hard to get into view of them. And that's why we need one another. The faith that you have and the grace that you have are gifts. Uh, At least five times in the New Testament, Paul says that wherever you're at, whatever doubts you have or gifts you have, whatever mercies you've seen, it's not accidental. But God has been at work to put you into the world because he wants you to participate in what he's doing, to share what you have seen and what you haven't with others who are sharing what they have seen and what they've yet to see. We need to view God's mercies, and because of that, we need one another. And it's not just that we need it, but that we belong. My favorite activity growing up, the thing that that marked my childhood, was hanging out at the pool, because it's hot in Georgia. And when I was little, we lived uh, not that far from the pool. It was just at the bottom of the hill. It was like eight houses down. We lived in a smaller neighborhood, and from the time I was four years old, Every afternoon, walk down to the pool, splash, have fun, then sit in the clubhouse for about an hour begging my parents to come pick me up so I didn't have to walk up the hill. When I got a little bit older, we moved to a bigger neighborhood with a thousand homes and a country club. And so that meant there were even more friends and more opportunities for fun. And this pool was amazing. But our house was a lot further. And I don't know if you know anything about the northern part of town, but up in Roswell, there's a lot of hills. And so my house sat up on the top of a hill with our driveway, and then you walk down the hill, and then you're at the bottom of two hills, and then you went up a hill, and then down a hill, and up a hill, and down a hill, and there were just a lot of hills. 
But what would happen is my friends would be at the pool and then they'd give me a call and they'd say, you got to get here. We're having a blast. There's awesome things going on. I'd be like, well, who's there? And then they would go through the list. And if it kind of matched what I was looking for, I'd be like, you're right. I do want to be there. And then I'd walk around the house and try to see if somebody would give me a ride. And they'd say, take your bike or walk or all this kind of stuff or just don't go, do chores. (laughs) But if the vision for that good life was strong enough, eventually I might muster up the courage, walk out that front door, walk down the hill to walk up the hill. And I can tell you, I didn't make it more than the top of that second hill before routinely I would stop and say, this is the point of no return. Do I really want to face the rest of the hills or am I ready to go back, choose a different way? And I remember one day in particular where I, I made the choice and I went down the next couple of hills and then I got in the long stretch down by the golf course and I found myself being very spiritual that day, praying, God, please send someone. <laughs> and, and those words didn't get off my lips before I heard a sound behind me, turning around to see one of my, my best friend's family cars driving down the road. And I thought, could it be? And as they got closer, sure enough, as they approached, it was my best friend riding with his mom and they were on the way to the pool. I thought, hallelujah, I'm saved. (laughs) And the next thing I knew, halfway to the pool, my friend's mom pulled up and dropped him off to walk with me. Something that we learn about the Christian life is that there's not really shortcuts and it doesn't go at the pace that you want. There are times where we find ourselves in the middle of the hills that life offers us, the challenges, the stresses, the doubts, the pain, the suffering, the death, the shame, all kinds of things. We find ourselves there and we just want it to be over. We'd even like to just go back and go back home. And we pray and we wish and we say, God, just take us to the end. Get us out of here. And what we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ is that God didn't give us, uh, he didn't give us a shortcut. But he got out of the car to walk on the road with us. And not only that, but he brought along people, the people sitting around with you. If there's one thing that we can be sure of after today, or even this afternoon, the hills of life are going to come back in. And it's going to be hot, and we're not going to be sure we want to keep going. But the gospel tells us that Jesus is with us on that road. That it's the road that he has traveled and come back to us because he knows the road. He knows the places he's taking us. And he has not left us without a witness. We have scripture. We can journey through uh, reading the lives of other people, gleaning and walking the road of life with them. We can share in life with one another by joining in a community group, by sharing what's going on. Again, the good parts and the bad. but we need one another because this life is impossible apart from viewing his mercies and our view can only see so much. So again, who are we journeying through life with? Who are we sharing the mercies that we've experienced with? Who are we sharing our doubts and our confusion and our pain and shouldering that together? 
Because the invitation of the Christian life is that Jesus has joined with us and that he has left his body in one another that we can belong and journey together down that road. The last thing that we see in this passage is really at the beginning where Paul says, in view of God's mercy and belonging to one another, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And the word worship there is is the word service. This is the proper orientation of your life. This is the proper adventure. This is the proper road to travel, to offer your life as a sacrifice pleasing to God. In earlier chapters in Romans, Paul has talked about Jesus being the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. And so the sacrifice that he's talking about here for us is is not to atone for our sins through our patterns of faithfulness, but rather to offer our lives as a thanks offering, a sweet aroma, to give our lives over to Jesus to say, I trust in you that you can do with this something better than I can, with my gifts and my limits, my successes and my losses. I trust that you know the road better than me. Uh, 12 years ago today, I uh, started at All Souls. It was my first Sunday. And after all this time here, I have, one of the things I've had the privilege of doing is premarital counseling for some of the kids who grew up here and then some of the adults in the church um, that have gotten married. And I love premarital counseling. Uh, I hate weddings. I love premarital counseling because premarital counseling is not all that different from discipleship. Right? It's getting together and talking about how do we live. Christian life is just what's true and how do we live like it. And so in getting there, there's a couple things I do in the first week. The first is to say, well, why get married at all? Because that seems pretty counterculture in today's standards. The second is, why get married in the church and with a minister? What does God have to do with it? Uh, and then the third is, what do you want for your life? And in that exercise, I ask the the people to draw a picture. And I give them a lot of time to put in as much detail as they want. And then it's always humorous to me because the pictures that they turn over don't look a lot like marriages to me. There's no tears. There's no finger pointing and blaming. uh, There's no in-laws. There's no disproportionate division of labor. There's no, you've changed. Well, you haven't, right? (laughs) And instead, what you see in there is this vision for life. It's like, well, here's where we want to travel. Here's the kind of house that we want to live in. Here's the kind of careers that we want to have. Um, All kinds of different things. Here's the friends that we want for the journey. All kinds of different things in the picture. And we all have that, right? Like you could sit down and write, uh, draw a picture yourself today. What do you want the next month, the next week, the next hour of your life to look like? What do you want to do with your time here on earth? And you could paint that picture. And what Paul is giving us as instructions is in view of God's mercy, and the way we paint the picture, and the way we orient our lives, and the way that we plan and prioritize Let's do so in view of his mercy out of thanksgiving and gratitude to offer up our life to him. See, Christian life is not, it's not just about believing in Jesus, but it's acting on that belief in faithfulness to give him your life. God, here's how much money I think I'm going to make this year. What do you want to do with it? 
God, here's this sibling who I can't get along with and I just want to cut them off. What do you want to do with that? Here's this professional aspiration that I have. God, is that, is that from you? What do you want to do with it? But to turn over our life to him. But it requires a bit of death, at the very least, to lose control. The word here is living sacrifice. The word is living dying. In the Greek, it says, offer your bodies as a living death or murder. Right? Your life and the time that you have is life. And there's all the ordinary trappings of human life that's in there. But are you dying to the worst parts of human life? Are you dying to the parts that are separate from him? Are you dying to your own will that your will can test and approve what his is? That you can walk into that pleasing and perfect will. And again, you can't do this if he's not merciful. The mercy is like, is like gas in the tank and you can only go as far as there's gas in the tank. If God's not merciful and not to be trusted, you're not gonna trust him. But if God is trustworthy in his relationships with others, you can offer him your relationships with others. If he is faithful and merciful with giving up of his possessions, you can give up of your possessions. If he's merciful and faithful in giving up his ambition, you can give up your ambition but only as far as you see his mercy. And again, this goes back to why we need other people. Because sometimes our gas tank is empty. Sometimes we find ourselves drafting off somebody else, but it only goes so far. But when we all show up in view of his mercy and we bring to the table what God has done for us, when we all bring our little gallon can and dump it into the engine, then we can go somewhere. How are you in view of his mercy? Who are you journeying through life with? How is he inviting you to offer your life up to him in new ways? This is the Christian life. God's invitation to us and there is life in him. Amen.